Okay, so Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and as we've talked about, as we've, you know, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we've, it's been report, important to remember that Solomon started off very well. He was David's son, and it says in 1 Kings 3, verse 3, that Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. He knew about worship. But it goes on to say that his heart was turned away by his wives, his wives who did not worship the Lord. And he began following the and following and, and walking in the practices of uh, foreign religions, foreign gods, gods which didn't even exist, gods which just existed in people's imagination um, at the time, gods who promoted child sacrifice as part of temple worship, ritual prostitution, this type of thing. And he began walking in, in that. And his heart became hard towards the Lord. And what he was left with was nothing but his, what you would call his raw, naked intellect, which was no small thing. He was the smartest man, the wisest man who ever lived. And that didn't disappear when he, you could say, backslid didn't disappear after his heart hardened. It was still there. And he set about to sort of figure out the meaning of life. And that's what this whole book has been about, or his conclusions. And it's a pretty depressing uh, testament, really. And this book is just invaluable because what it is, it's a reminder to us of what life is like without the Holy Spirit, what life is like without a, uh, a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. This book, this is, we, we take a look at this book and he arrives and, and, and he, from each chapter he has, look, this is the best you can do. And he'll say, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, that wasn't made up by fraternities in the 70s. Uh, Solomon, actually, more than once, quotes that in this. Look, this is the best you can do. Sort of ignore, try to, pr uh, try to stick your head in the sand as to the depressing uh, nature of life and just try to eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy your wife. He'll throw that in uh, from time to time. He throws in a couple of other things uh, in these last couple of chapters. But what you never, ever see again, is that worship, where you see throughout the Psalms, David, his father, just worshiping, 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 just telling God how great he is. The most that you will see Solomon do is something like, he, Solomon will say something like, God is great, but you never see in Ecclesiastes, God, you are great. What you, what you see, what you don't see in Ecclesiastes is that connection with the Lord. It's, he knows facts about the Lord, but there's no connection with the Lord. And so 
in chapter 11 and 12. We're going to close out this, uh, close out uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, in this, these two chapters, again, as we've seen throughout, there are some pretty depressing things throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's saying things like, it's better to have never been born. That way, you don't have to deal with the discouragement and repetitive nature of life. Uh, but you will see from time to time throughout the book, because he is the wisest man who ever lived, he's come, he comes up with uh, some golden nuggets here. And that's what... Uh, we see at the beginning of, of chapter 11, he says, cast your bread upon the waters, verse 1, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now, what he's talking about here is actually giving. Don't be stingy. So here is a backslidden man who is not, apart from being aided by the, the Spirit of God, is coming to the conclusion, which many unbelievers have come to, uh, to, that stinginess is not a good idea. It's not a good thing. And that, look, it, you know, uh, life may be real difficult and depressing, but don't rob yourself of the blessing of giving to people. Uh, it, it, he says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, verse 1. And the thought there is, is, you know, oftentimes when you give away uh, your money or give away your possessions, you don't really, a lot of times you don't see what the fruit of it is. And, and you may even get discouraged. What could this good, could this have possibly been? I just gave a bunch of money here or there. And how do I really know whether uh, it's going to be used for a good purpose. But the latter part of verse 1 says, well, you will find it after many days. And it, it, over time, as you are sowing, as you are sowing, as you're giving, you will, you know, over time, uh, see the blessings that uh, result from it. And then it says, give a serving to, to seven and also to eight, just a, a, uh, a, a poetic way uh, of saying, look, you know, give liberally, for you do, know, you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now, many people, they have this idea in their head that, well, you know, after I, 20 years, after I, after I save up money for 20, 30 years, then I will start uh, to give money. I'll give money then. But until then, I just got to make sure I have enough money for this and for that and to make sure, you know, my kids' education, my, uh, my college, my, you know, whatever. And they never wind up giving anything. There's always an excuse not to give anything. Always. <laughs> There's plenty of fear. There's enough fear going around, um, actually, throughout history to prevent anyone from giving. And, and, and what he's saying here, he says, don't let that prevent you from, from giving. Again, the end of verse 2, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth, uh, meaning, you know, you don't know what's going to befall you. You may die tomorrow. So, so look, you don't want to die uh, with your coffers full, is what he's saying. And again, this is a man who's just coming to these conclusions with his raw intellect, and he's right, because Jesus, we know that Jesus teaches the same thing. Give liberally. 
uh, you know, Jesus actually uh, repeats um, on a number of occasions, be rich towards God is actually uh, one of the things that Jesus says. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the, or the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. And so this is again, he's writing stream of conscience and he's, he, he, he sort of here just, um, uh, you know, coming up with uh, various conclusions here that may not be connected with each other uh, and may not be even particularly uh, profound. Uh, For example, then in verse 3, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. That sounds like, you know, if a tree falls in the middle of the forest, does anyone really hear it? Well, I don't know, and I don't care. But um, go ahead, philosopher, and and spout around about these things. Verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the cl- clouds will not reap. So it's the, the, again, same idea is verse 1 and 2. If you spend all your time contemplating your navel, uh, you'll never get anything done. You know, you're, you'll, and, and you always worry about whether or not you should give because of, of you know, which way is the wind going to blow and, and, and this type of thing. You're never going to get anything done, so make sure that you sow, uh, or you're never going to reap. Because there's always going to be reasons not to give, not to sow. As you do not, verse five, know what is the way of the winds, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So he's just saying, look, there's a principle on the earth that I have learned. If you sow, you will reap, and don't worry about what things that you sow will, will wound up sprouting up. Eventually, something will. So this is sort of good, solid wisdom here. Could have found some of these in the book of Proverbs. Verse 7, truly the light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. For if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. So there are various interpretations of this. Mine happens to be that throughout this book, Solomon says, everything under the sun is vanity, meaning, and, and a translation is vanity of empty bubbles. You know, there's, some, there's an appearance there, but you prick it, and it just blows up, and there's nothing there. It, it's meaningless. NIV, anyone, anyone have the New, New International Version here? I believe it does. Vanity, it says meaningless, actually, throughout the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, and in my opinion, what he is saying here is, you know, truly the light is sweet and is uh, pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. Uh, so in other words, sort of enjoy the nature around you because you, in verse 8, and he says, but yet let him remember the days of darkness because all that is coming is vanity. And in, in other words, not only has, have I seen the past, there's just, it's just vanity, it's meaningless, but even the future, there's a meaningless to that. And again, remember, 
this is a man who his heart has become hard and insensitive to the things of the Spirit, to the things of the Spirit. And I think you have to uh, understand that. In his young age, the Bible says he was tender before the Lord, but uh, that changes very much in his latter years. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, it says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. So he looks back at his life and he really sees, wow, you know, the good that I've gotten from my life, it's, it really has been from getting to know God. Before the difficult days come, so he says, remember the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. And so the next few verses are just describing someone sold, uh, they're sort of being broken by old age. And, and the point that he's making throughout is get to know God before it's too late, before you're old and broken. At the end of verse 4, before you say you have no pleasure in your days, verse 2, and while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not, are, are not darkened. In other words, your eyes begin to go, and the clouds do not return after the rain. Verse 3, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble. tremble. So he's, he's just speaking of in, in older age where the, you know, older people, actually they begin to tremble. And the strong men bow down. The older people, they tend to hunch over. When the grinders cease because they are few. Who knows what that means? Right. Teeth. Grinders. They're just describing an older person who's lost their teeth and, and they are few. And those who look through the windows grow dim. When the doors are shut in the streets... And the sound of grounding, grinding is low. So when the doors are shut in the streets, that meaning that you know you're you're more or less a shut-in as you grow old. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low, and also they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. So you meet some older fo- folks, and they're nervous about almost everything. That's what he's describing here. He says, "Remember your Creator. Get to know your God." Before this kind of thing sets in, is what he is saying. And then in verse 5, he says, when the almond tree blossoms, it's probably talking about white hair because almond tree blossoms are white. He's just being figurative here. And the grasshopper is a burden. I have no idea what that means. And desire fails. Sexual desire, other desire fails. In old age, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. And and so that's really talking about just dying there. And so he is saying, you know, he's reflecting back on his life and he's just saying, you know, if there's any good that's been in my life, it was way back then when I knew the Lord. So whatever you do, before this old age sets in, you better get to know the Lord. Because now looking back after I've had everything, Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had all the things that money could buy. He had houses of 
ivory, made out of cedar as well. It's unbelievable treasury. And he's just saying the only thing that was worth it were those days when I, when I knew the Lord. I have sp- spoken recently a couple times about Charles Templeton, who, along with Billy Graham, they were co-laborers. They were equally famous when they started out. It wasn't just Billy Graham. It was Billy Graham and Charles Templeton. And many people actually thought that Charles Templeton was going to be the one who would really, really take off and eventually be the preeminent evangelist. But he did something really similar to Solomon. He really departed from the faith. And uh, eventually just wound up rejecting the word of God. And he was interviewed just a couple years before he died, or maybe a year before he died, by Lee Strobel in The Case for Faith. And it was pretty amazing, particularly for a guy who, you know, the last book he wrote was something like Why I Rejected the Christian Faith. And he, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel. He's the guy who wrote Case for Christ, which we have back there, if you have someone you want to witness to. The witnessing materials are free as long as when you pick it up, you have in mind someone to give it to because they do cost money. So be mindful of that. But by all means, if you want to give a good book to a skeptic, Case for Christ is a good one. We have it out there. There's also Case for Faith. I didn't care for it quite, quite as much, but there's a great interview in there. And he's interviewing Charles Templeton, this guy who rejected the Christian faith. And He's like, well, what do you think about Jesus today? This broken man. He was broken by this point. And he said, I miss him. He's like, he was, Lee Strobel was struck, shocked. <laughs> he says, you wha- what? I miss him. And, and he actually began to cry. And then, and then this man, Charles Templin, he knew he had made his money, rejected writing books about rejecting Jesus, he sort of regained his composure and refused to talk about it again. But the same exact principle as as Solomon here. Solomon at the end of his life, look, if there's any good that I found in my life, it was from that time that I knew the Lord. And and that's the the principle here. But I, once again, I just, uh, I love... To compare Ecclesiastes and Solomon to to David. I mean, what a depressing picture of old age. I can hardly think of a more depressing picture of old age than this. Then he gives him, you know, when your grinders are few and, 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 you know, and and, and when the... uh, You're afraid of heights and the terrors in the way. You're terrified of everything and... The grasshopper is a burden, whatever on earth that means. <laughs> Just a depressing view. But I compare it uh, to uh, Psalm 92, verse 12. Great, virtue, uh, great um, verses there where David says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and 
flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright and to declare that the Lord is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. It's a, that great picture of, of the older man and, or woman just saying, God is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. Meaning, as I look back on my long life, he was always faithful. So just the, there's a, really a picture there in the Psalms of someone in their their. Uh, latter years, and there's just a, a, a brilliant light. But here, Solomon just contemplating, you know, without the, the, the assistance here of the Spirit of God, just with his raw intellect, you know, it's just painting this depressing uh, picture of, of older age here. In verse 6, it says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain. Just talking about, those are different metaphors for death or the wheel is broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. The NIV says meaningless. Is that right, Tanner? Who has the NIV? Meaningless, says the preacher, all is meaningless. Verse 9, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And remember what a goad is. It's like a prick uh, that um, they, the farmers used to use to poke on oxen to go the way that they wanted the oxen to go. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And so, uh, the, just speaking of wisdom and how it is good to expose our heart to it. Verse 12, and further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end. So it's interesting, 3,000 years ago, there was many books. There's many books today, and there's many book. There was many books then. I heard that by 1985, 127 new books were being published per day. Who knows what it is uh, today? That's in the United States alone. And so, some things never change. Solomon says, "Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to." the flesh. And so, you know, he's just reverting back to a conclusion he came up with in chapter one, which is, you know, taking the, the route of education, more education, and more and more and more education is just, it's wearisome after a while. And, and that's not going to satisfy you. But in verse 13, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So this is the 
he's summing up everything that he's concluded of sort of the only possible good you can eke out of life are these things. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, or this is the whole of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, most commentators on this, including pastors, they try to say, well, here, you know, Solomon sort of vindicates himself. He sort of repents and and everything sort of previous to these couple of chapters, he's sort of vindicating himself in the last couple of chapters because he's really coming up with a really solid conclusion here. I don't agree with it one bit. I think he's as backslidden as ever when he wrote these last couple of verses. He's talking about God in the third person. What's missing? He's not talking to God. He's talking about God. There's no worship here. The worship is completely absent. I think of how David over and over and over talked regarding the Lord. It was to God. Uh, Psalm 13. I just quoted these a couple weeks ago, but this is actually throughout David's Psalms. But he says, but I have trusted in your mercy. My uh, heart shall rejoice in your salvation. There's none of that in the book of Ecclesiastes up to the very end. O my soul, uh, Psalm 16, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Praise God. That's who I want to be. Who cares about being the wisest person in the world? I want to know the Lord and have a relationship with him and talk to him. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. As for me, Psalm 17, I will see your face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. How sad that the best that Solomon could do at the end of his life is recite facts about God, but he really no longer talked to God anymore. He does come up here with a solid conclusion. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. And, you know, that is absolutely true and necessary. We do need to fear God. Our country has lost a fear of God. You know, you look at CNN, and it's just is unbelievable every single day. You know, a f- bunch of dead people found in a tree in Ohio. I mean, what's up with this, you know? Uh, that's crazy. And how many murder-suicides, like one a week in this country? There's no fear of God. And when I say fear of God, again, I, you know, we talk about this a lot. I'm not talking about being scared of God. You know, I don't, I don't know how many of you have had a, a good father, a good father growing up. But when you have a good father, you love the father. But you also know if you go out and escape in the middle of the night when you're supposed to be sleeping, go over to your friend's house and smoke dope or something, you're going to be feeling some pain. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy fear. And, and the Bible does say that um, 
that is critical in the life of a believer. You know, we need to fear the Lord. I've talked to you about one of the bosses that I had over the years. Never heard the guy, never saw the guy get, he never got angry at me ever. He never, I never saw him get angry at anyone in, in, in their presence. Um, he never said an angry word to anyone, but yet he, he was a gentle guy, a, a, a sweet guy. I loved him, but man, if I showed up work an hour late every day, he would fire me. For that reason, I f- I, there was a fear, a type of fear that I had for this guy, not because he was a tyrant or mean, but because there was authority there, praise the Lord. And he could fire me if I decided to, to you know, to, to start disregard uh, my job or my responsibilities. And it's like that with the Lord. If we think we can just go out and disregard the word, we're crazy. There are going to be big time consequences. God is good enough to chasten us for that. But there's another side to, the, to fearing God, which Solomon doesn't need, not, not, rather, there's another side to our relationship with God that Solomon doesn't even address here. Someone just submitted a, a devotional to our website, and it just is already posted. Quoting Acts chapter 9, verse 31, in which it says the early church, which was just filled with joy. Remember that? They went from house to house e- eating eating uh, with gladness in their heart. Remember that? There was just joy. It's like mentioned every chapter. But in Acts 9.31, it says of these uh, new believers, it says they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so this whole devotional is about the balance between the two. So if, if you're on the church email list, you'll be getting that uh, tomorrow morning. If you're not on the church email list, join. Just ping the church email list. You'll be getting these devotionals. I think they're wonderful. But the whole devotional is about the balance between walking in the fear of the Lord and then also walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You don't see any of that here. He doesn't know about the comfort of the Holy Spirit anymore. How sad. And so this should be, this whole book should be a warning to us, a warning to us of you know, what can happen if we allow ourselves just to turn away from the Lord? What will happen to, um, to our hearts, to our relationship with, with the Lord? I want the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I don't, know about, I don't know about you. I need that. And that's what Solomon uh, doesn't, doesn't have here. It is remarkable, though, that, you know, even this man who ha- has lost his heart, his tenderness towards the Lord. He, he still realizes, you know, after all this, the best years of my life were the lo- years that I, I got to know God. So, so make sure you do that. And, uh, and, and, and he does come to this conclusions. You know, you need to fear God and keep his commandments. You need to obey the Lord. I, you know, I have, um, I have an uncle who's not a believer, but he's a very smart man, but he, he supports some of, the, some of the mission stuff that we do. And he, he will just come out and say, I, I, he's not a believer, but he'll just come out and say, I can think of no better way to improve the world than to teach them about being a Christian. <laughs> really smart people come to those kind of conclusions many times. And, you know, that's what Solomon does here. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed going through this book because it reminds me again, this is what I've been saved 
out of. This is the best you can do without the Spirit of God. Jesus says that if you don't have the Spirit, um, or if you've never been baptized by the Spirit, ask. This would a father, uh, if his son asks for bread, give him a rock. If his son asks for uh, an egg, would he give him a scorpion? No. How much more? He says, if you being evil uh, wouldn't do that to your own children, how much more will, the, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to, to, to those who ask for the Holy Spirit? And so we need to ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit so we can walk not only in the fear of the Lord, but the comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit.